This is the Millionaire Real Estate Podcast, where you'll learn the strategies and tactics you need to become a millionaire agent. Learn from top agents, brokers, team leaders, and experts in the industry who can help you on the path to success. And now, here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. We are so glad that you're with us today. And I'm so excited. We have Matt Saunders with Simple Real Estate Solutions. He has over 75 rental properties paid off. He's making over $75,000 a month in rental income. And we are going to show you how you can do it as well. We're going to be talking about the Burr method. And he loves to fly. He's a pilot. He's actually in his airplane hangar right now. And I want you to know, like, I love Matt. He's one of my really, really, really great friends. And he has nothing to sell. Like, he is literally here just to give. And so after this call, like, you know, he's like, don't have anyone friend me on social media because he's like, you know, don't ask me questions because he, one of the things that makes him really successful is that he doesn't get distracted. Like he fights distraction and he is really here just for one purpose only and just to really give knowledge to you. And so we want to respect his privacy for that. Um, But if you have questions or things like that, you can reach out to me. Um, but he really um, is here just to give. And so if you've never heard of the Burr method, it's Burr stands for buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat. And so that's what that stands for. And we're going to talk about that. But Matt, first, I want you to tell us how you started this whole thing. What got you started? What made you want to get started and how it all began? Okay, sure. Um, it really all began when I was like 22, 23, 24. I listened to Brian Tracy's Psychology of Achievement and did everything that was in that cassette series. Yeah, there were cassettes back then, not, not even CDs. Um, so anyhow, um, I set a goal to like be financially independent. And at that time, it was like a million dollars because I thought that'd give me 50000 a month in interest. So that's where it all started was a goal of financial independence. And then from uh, whatever year that was, it was probably like 92 till 2003. All I did was invest or no 2000, excuse me, in um, the market, you know, whether that's mutual funds or individual stocks. And then in March of 2000, uh, 500,000 that I had built up over that period of time in the 90s went to like 300 and then kept going down and that's where I, I i thought okay i don't like this i'm going to figure out how this real estate stuff works so i bought some books on um rental property and just you know torch them and read them um not front to end just get the basics make the notes and take action and um that's where it all started so so i guess where i'm getting there is I was never interested in real estate and I really was never interested in investments. I was interested in not having to work. I I work. I mean, I don't want to have to work. I want money that pays what my life needs and more without having to get out of bed, but I still want to get out of bed and go 
you know, hit it every day and accomplish things. That's, so that's awesome. So the 1% rule, most of us know what that is. And if you don't know what that is, it basically means that if you're buying a rental property, the 1% rule, the monthly rent must be equal to no less than 1% of the purchase price. So if you buy a house for 200000 you want to make sure that you're at least getting $2,000 a month in rent. So um, I want you to talk about kind of the formula you used in the very beginning of what you did to buy properties. Then I want you to talk about what is the formula that you use to buy properties now. Okay. Um, back then, uh, going back to the stock thing, I, I basically looked and said, okay, if I can put a house on a 15-year mortgage with 10% down and get $100 more, and, and granted, I was brand new, okay, um, $100 more on rent than the PITI, principal interest taxes and insurance, it'll be paid off in 15 years, and that will beat any 15-year segment in the stock market from you know the beginning of time till now. Uh, as 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 the whole stock market, not an individual fund or whatever. And um, so I said, oh, hey, that's what I'm doing. That's the guaranteed return. Appreciation's great, but I'm not counting on it. So at that time, it was September 2002 or 2001. I'm not sure which one it was. Um, my goal is to go out and buy 10 of these houses as quickly as I could. And, and at that time, to me, that meant after expenses, I would get $10,000 a month once they're paid off. And to me, that was like, okay, I can survive and, and not like survive like on soup. You know, I can survive on that. So at least in 15 years, I know I'll have 10000 a month coming in. And I went out and bought houses with an agent. Um, and then when we got to about four or five houses, the market had gotten so expensive that the 15-year mortgage and $100 more didn't, didn't work. So my formula didn't work. And that's where I said, okay, let me read some books on buying foreclosures and buying distressed properties so that I can continue buying rental properties that meet my numbers. So what's your formula now that you use when you're looking to buy a property? And do you say, okay, if I'm looking to flip this property, I'm going to have one formula. And if I'm going to rent out the property, I'm going to use a different formula. Yeah. So formulas uh, for the rent flipping is super easy. Okay. That's, that's your after renovation value minus uh, 30% minus your estimated renovation cost. And that's your purchase price. So let's do, let's do a really easy example for a hundred thousand dollars. So people can understand how to do that math. Yeah. 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 So let's say it was uh, you, 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 in, in everything I'm about to say is based on your estimates being somewhat accurate. They're never going to be perfectly accurate. But let's say you are confident you're going to sell it at $100,000 after you renovate it. And again, round numbers for easy math. We can do a million if you want easy numbers too. 30% um, less, you take the calculator and you just say 
100,000 times 0.7. That's 30% less. You're getting 70% of your after innovation value. In this example, that's $70,000, or if it was a million, 700,000. And then you subtract your innovation cost, and let's just pretend it was $20,000. Um, that do a $50,000 purchase price for that $100,000 house or a $500,000 purchase price for the million. Um, and, and people often say, especially agents are like, oh my God, you can't do that. That's so low. Well, 30% off of a hundred thousand, you're not actually making that 30% because all you're factoring is your uh, renovation cost. It may take you six months from the time you buy the house to the time you cash out of it. So you've got interest payments, insurance payments, utility payments, tax payments. Your renovation costs may go over some, and they probably will. Um, when you sell the house, depending on how your agency structure is, you could have 3% for the listing, 3% to the selling agent, and 3% buyer's closing costs. So you add up all those, and that 30% is designed to give you a 15% profit margin on the sale of a house. So in this example, 15% of a $100,000 exit is $15,000. And it's padded, really. I mean, you, you, it usually gives you more like 18 plus percent. So what about if you're looking to rent it? Let's say, let's say you really like the area and you're like, wow, this is a great area. I'm not going to flip it. I'm going to hold it. How would you be so, more lenient with that? Okay. So, so rentals, here, here's a couple things to consider with rentals. Okay. Um, in general, and this is a generalization, so it's not across the board always. Okay. But in general, um, houses that tend to appreciate are much harder to make good money on than houses that are in tougher areas and don't appreciate as much, okay? Um, as a general rule, you're gonna make much more money off the cheap house in terms of cash flow, whereas on the other house, you're generally not gonna make any money in the big picture except on the exit of the house because it's generally gonna appreciate more in all the meaning while you're paying it down um, or the nicer house doesn't necessarily have to be bigger. That generalization, though, is not an absolute, but as a generalization, it's very true. So now we come over to what's most important to you. I think when we were talking, you had said, hey, I like this one house I have because the type of tenant I get for it is a no-hassle tenant, pays on time, keeps the house in great shape. You know, there's quality factors in whatever strategy you do. My strategy, though, when it comes to rental property, now that I've been in it for a long time, is cash flow. It's just, I mean, I'd rather buy a place for $50,000 and get $1,200 a month and have some headaches because I have a I have structure with my organization where those headaches are not absorbed by me. <laughs> and that's why. Um then, then buy a really nice place and get two thousand a month. And, and those numbers, by the way, like you buy a fifty thousand dollar place, and let's just say in the hood, whatever. Um, let's say you get a thousand a month, 
or you buy a $200,000 place and you get $1,600 a month. I'm not saying the numbers are exact to that ratio, but that's generally how it goes. Rents don't keep up with prices. There's like a rent floor and, you know, little increments for nicer neighborhoods. But, you know, that floor does not keep up with the actual price of the house in a, in a linear way. It's much slower. So you could rent a million dollar house for six or seven thousand a month <laughs> or a hundred thousand dollar house for, you know, fifteen hundred a month. Well, you get, I hope you get the idea. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to I want to give you guys an example because this is a property that I have that people like Matt would tell me this is not a good idea. So before I have the house that I lived in, that I live in now, I have a house that's currently valued at about 500,000. I lived there before. It was my it was a primary residence lots of years ago and it's been paid off, right? And so the house is currently valued at 500,000 and I currently make $2900 in rent. And the people who I rent to, I've rented it out. I mean, I get three-year leases, you know, four-year leases, and every person that's ever rented this house keeps it immaculate. I mean, you could lick the floors with this, you know, at this house. And so if I was having my investor hat on, I would look at someone and say, well, or Matt would probably tell me, you know, you could sell that $500,000 house. You could buy five $100,000 houses and get $1,200 a month for each of those $100,000 houses, and you'd make way more than $2,900 in rent. For me, I already own it. I don't owe anything on it. The people, literally, I never hear a word boo from. They, you could they you could lick the floors. It's that clean. And so I've just made the decision on that particular property it's no stress. I don't care. I'm keeping it. You see what I'm saying? So I think at sometimes it's fine to be like that, but for the most times you want it to be in a cash flow position. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's really just a personal objective, you know, what it means for you. So I mean, that house you bought years ago, there's a helicopter outside, excuse yeah. the noise, it'll be gone. But um you bought that house so many years ago, and when you bought it, it was probably two twenty-five or something. No, I bought it at the height of the market, and it was over four hundred. Oh, so I had bought it like in the absolute peak. I did not okay. do a good job on that one. Okay. I've done a good job on all mine except okay. that particular well, one. You paid it down quickly then, because it's it's paid off. But my point was, is if you were to take a five hundred thousand dollar mortgage out today, you couldn't make those numbers work. Right. Exactly. Losing money. Yeah. So I want to talk about there's three terms that mean the exact same thing: contract for deed, land contract, and installment sale. And I want you to explain what those terms mean and how you use that for your benefit in your business. Okay. Well, let's first talk about in bigger context, if you have a property and you wanna generate money from it, okay? There's basically three ways to do that. A straight out rental, which everybody's familiar with. You get a month security deposit and you get monthly rent. 
and you, generally you're going to require you know uh, some background so that you feel confident that tenant's going to be a, a good tenant and a good tenant means only two things to us as as property owners pays on time keeps the place in good condition um that's it that's all you care about um so when it comes over to other methods of generating money from a property some people use a rent to own method and the reason people do that is not because they want to sell the house they might be like okay i i'll take it you know i'll sell it sell it if you want to buy it at this price but that the primary reason they'll do that is to reduce maintenance costs because if the tenant has a sense of ownership they're more likely to not make as many maintenance calls and you know that's going to reduce your expenses um and in in a rent to own is is very easy it's just a regular lease and then a separate piece of paper called an option contract and an option contract says uh the renter has the option to buy this property at this price by this date in the future, typically three years, but it can be any date you want. And typically they'll pay you three or $5,000 or whatever you make for that option alone. And then it's a regular rental. Um, a lot of people on rent to owns will put in the contract that the tenant's responsible for all the repairs. But in reality, a rent to own under tenant landlord law is subject to tenant landlord landlord law. So you can put anything you like in the contract. Ultimately, you are responsible for all the repairs, regardless of it being a rent to own or not. Um, so circling back, it is a good method to reduce maintenance. In reality, the tenants do tend to call a lot less for maintenance and have a sense of home ownership but it doesn't legally remove your responsibility to maintain the property um, at all. And that's the important point. Um, when you move over to, in, in the fulfillment rate on those, meaning who actually goes through and executes the option, if the market is static, not going up at all, you know, um, maybe one out of 10, okay? If the market's hot, maybe two out of that. Um, so generally, you know, you're going to have an option price that's significantly better than your purchase price, but not, not unrealistic to the market in terms of high. So if they do cash out, great. You've got more money than you had to begin with to buy another replacement property. Um, all right. Yeah. So, so then, I want to, I want to make sure everyone heard what you said about the rent to own. So if you do rent to own and you put in the contract, okay, Mr. Tenant, you're going to be responsible for all of these repairs. If the roof goes out or this goes out, you're going to be responsible. You can't necessarily hold that to them because the Landlord Tenant Act trumps all of that. So you can't, you can put that in there but it's not necessarily that they are going to have to pay for all that. And if there is something major like a roof leak, right? And right. they don't have the money to repair the roof and now they're damaging the house. And now you're in, you're going to be kind of screwed if you don't do the roof. 
You're right. I mean, if it ends up in court, you're not going to win. That's that's for sure. You're going to lose. Um, and the nice thing about ending up in court is just be a nice person and do the right thing, and you won't end up in court. I mean, like, honestly, outside of eviction, I mean, you always have to evict, which is later on our call. We'll talk about that. And being a nice person does not mean giving latitude on payment due dates. Like, I got to be like really clear about that. But I'm just saying doing the right thing. So if you have a place falling apart with a roof leak, you know, a tree, a branch fell through. It's not right to leave it like that. Right. You know, it's not right. Um, I mean, you got people living there. What if they, that was your brother, sister, mother, you know, so you do write the right thing. You're not likely to end up in court. You're an asshole. You're likely to end up in court. Well, let's switch gears for a second and let's talk about Airbnbs and kind of 30-day rentals. Well, let's not lose. You started on land contract, contract for deed, and installment sale. And and so I was saying, hey, there's three ways to handle an asset, the meaning a house you own, regular rental, rent to own, and lastly, contract for deed, which is also called a land contract, which is also called an installment sale contract. They mean the exact same thing. Okay, water, agua, H2O. It's all the same thing. Okay. Um, and that makes the actual, I'll call them a tenant buyer, the owner of the house by the contract. And at the end of the contract, the deed is transferred. That also has a fulfillment rate probably around 20%. Okay. Them, a lot of them are not going to complete the 30-year term, but that does give them all the benefits and burdens of home ownership. So your, your maintenance cost is now zero, absolutely zero. Um, so they they are they have it's the exact same as them owning the house in terms of benefits and burdens. But the eviction process in Virginia is eviction instead of a foreclosure. So sometimes people say, why don't you owner finance it? A foreclosure is going to cost, depending on how the tenant plays the foreclosure, on the low side, $8,000, maybe six. And on the high side, you name it. I mean, it, it could be three years. They could keep filing bankruptcies to just prolong the foreclosure. You know, they, they file it, it gets dismissed, they file it, <laughs> it's it could last forever. So that's why I use land contracts on certain properties that I really don't care if we get rid of. You know, we might have bought them at 30, 40, 50,000, we're getting $1,200 a month. And if we had had to fix it up ourselves, we would have spent quite a lot of money. And let's say some construction dude bought it that's got good income, but zero credit he's happy or she's happy because you know he, their buddies fix it up on the weekend they own the house instead of rent it so the land contract is really awesome for certain scenarios so so that's a good point because you said the fulfillment rate of those is 20 percent, meaning you say to someone okay we're going to do a contract for deed you pick the house i'm going to buy it you're saying 20% of those people are actually going to fulfill the 30 years so then you just then take over the property and then add it to your portfolio of a rental property 
Is that right? Well, I, 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 I kind of count them as a rental property. I mean, like in the 75, I don't know, we might have 20 of those. I, I really would have to look at the spreadsheet. Um, because I mean, we're a, we're, I mean, we're getting monthly, <laughs> monthly income for 30 years. Um, in the recent run up we just had, you know, with real estate prices going, um, in interest rates being low, we, a few of them did refinance out, which is fine. I mean, good for them and good for us because we got a good sales price and we had plenty of money to buy a replacement property or properties and it's a win-win, you know, they got their property. Um, yeah, so, but outside of that, I haven't seen it done. So I, I, I've just seen them, you know, eight years later, life changes, they moved somewhere. Got it. And now a word from our sponsor, Canzel Realty. Run your business your way, only at Canzel Realty. You can have all the freedom with none of the standard real estate red tape. If you're an agent, you get to run the show however you want and be your own boss. If you want to launch a team, you don't have to jump through all the hurdles and holdups. From day one, you'll have tons of tools and perks to offer your team. Powerful real estate tech like KV Core, Brokerman, and Skyslope. If you want to be your own brokerage or already have your own brokerage, that's not a problem either. You'll still get to run it however you want. All Canzel requires is a small Powered by Canzel logo next to yours. You can be the broker, you can be the manager, and you get to determine splits. You get all the tech, admin support, ownership stock, and revenue share, but most importantly, all the freedom, all the time, only at Canzel Realty. Yep. All right. So let's move into why don't you have a ton of Airbnbs or 30-day rentals and kind of the pros and cons of that. I know a lot of you have heard of something called, you guys have all heard of Airbnb, but a lot of you haven't heard of something called fullyfurnished.com. So talk about the 30-day rental, what brought you into that and the pros and cons of doing that as well. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, so first thing on Airbnb, I have not actually done a normal Airbnb, but that's not because I'm against it. If anything, I think it's an excellent model if you understand like two things. <laughs> Number one, the market specifically where you're going to do it. Okay. And however you want to analyze that, there's things like Air DNA and other sites. But at the end of the day, you can get on Airbnb and look at availability, look how many things are rented and what time frame and what they're going for and make your own conclusions there. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I was just talking to a friend last night who has an Airbnb. She's got it in uh, somewhere in Pennsylvania. I want to say near a university. I'm not exactly sure. But um, she paid like 350 for it. And this is only like a year and a half ago. And she... Um, already the summer's book she's got $150,000 of booked revenue between like the spring and summer so it can be really good um so so anyhow number one pick it right number two and pick it right you have to like look and see demand supply what's it costs you know what they're charging what the value of the real estates are all that um and then number two though uh you really need a good system in place, like systematically. And there are apps to help that in, in a very big way. 
guesting apps and all these apps, so you're not doing it manually. But at the end of the day, you are on call 24-7 if you've got one or two of these because that experience that they have is critical to your rating. And if you don't have five-star ratings, it's not going to go well for your property. So it's just a, a, a qualitative thing on your end. You got to be there 24 seven because they lock themselves out. The garbage disposal doesn't work, you know, whatever. You have to give them an experience that's very positive and then you're going to do very well with it. So that's what I know about Airbnb. There are plenty of people doing it. Um, it's all about really good systems to ensure a really good experience. And of course, the other thing I was saying is selecting um, to make sure you're making good money on it. In Virginia Beach, I was going to do Airbnb. And then right at that time, and set up a system, just like I discussed, um, the city council approved this no short-term rental policy. A short-term rental means under 30 days, at least in the city of Virginia Beach. And uh, I had talked to a couple people at the time that were doing what they called corporate rentals. And all that really means is an Airbnb where the minimum term is 30 days. And who's going to be renting that is someone who's in town for work, you know, traveling nurse, traveling doc, what, whatever. An uh, insurance company rents a house because the family's house burnt down and they have to house them while it's being fixed. Lots of scenarios. So um, I started doing that and it worked really well until um, I suppose a lot of people in Virginia Beach that might have had Airbnb, Airbnbs tried to convert them over to this model. And now there's just an oversupply of Airbnb. And it might also be just seasonally because we're in January, you know. Um, but we're having trouble filling our 30 day rentals, but go back a year and a half ago. And I was going to convert like half our portfolio to it because we were getting, uh, 5,000 a month on a house. We were getting 1800 a month on before. And, you know, they were staying six months. It was great. We just had to furnish it. Yeah. But yeah and if, if you, there's people on this call that are from everywhere, but it can apply to you, you know, depending on where you're at. If you are in Virginia Beach, you can actually Google Virginia Beach short-term rental and put overlay in district. overlay district. Yeah. And right now I know in Virginia Beach, you are only allowed to do Airbnb if for a couple of statuses. Number one, if you meet the grandfather status, meaning you were grandfathered in for some reason, you got an approved conditional use permit somehow, or if you're in the Sandbridge Special District, or if you look at this map that they have, and there's this o oceanfront resort overlay district that you can apply for conditional use permit, and it has to be approved by the city, or, uh, and this is in a lot of areas, if you have 75% or more of the homeowners sign off to approve that, let's say you had 10 houses in the neighborhood and eight people said, you know what, we're fine with doing Airbnb. All the people in the entire neighborhood said, yes, we're okay with that. 75% or more of the homeowners sign off, then it can also be considered for conditional use permit. So that's something also to think about. One I'm thing that can 
cool. Go ahead. I didn't know that, Chantel. That's good. Because, I mean, technically, if you had a little development of, let's just say, 10 townhouses, you could get seven of them. Just buy all seven. That's that's right up your alley. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That'd be something you'd do in a second. Yeah. Um, So... One of the things, the analogies that you gave one time when we were out to dinner, you said to me, you said, if you sell a pizza, you could sell the whole pizza, let's say for $16 for the whole thing. But if you sell pizza by the slice, you could say, okay, I'm going to sell this pizza by the slice for $5. And now you're making $40 for the pizza. And you were talking about you know, taking developments and kind of renting it by the room. Talk about that for just a second. Okay. So a friend of mine, Eric Hawk, he's the one that really introduced me to Airbnb and also to the person I was doing corporate rentals. And at that time he had one house in Virginia beach, which for whatever reason didn't get grandfathered, which is really terrible, but he converted the garage to a one bedroom efficiency um, and got like 1200 a month. And then the four bedrooms each had their like coded lock that works off of Wi-Fi. So you get your code and all that. And you rented them by the room. And let's say the rooms were, I I don't really know, but I mean, that house was producing like 8,000 a month. <laughs> so what would that be? 500 times 30. Yeah. Might've been eight, more than 8,000 a month. It was, it was ridiculous. Yeah. And, and he just had really good systems to ensure it all went smoothly. And there's a lot of apps that do that. You know, they generate the code on that door for them to get in. That generates the code on the bedroom door. It talks to Wi-Fi. It sends them instructions. It, so, so yeah, that one house was ridiculous, the amount of money he was generating off of it. Yep. And, so, of course, it depends on the market, but, you know. Yeah. Now I want to kind of talk a little bit about some of the nightmares that you've had with rentals and what to be aware of. And before I have you do that, I do want to share with you one thing that um, I have that you guys might want to to get a copy of. If you email mp at canzel.com, I kind of break down into an Excel spreadsheet, kind of what you should kind of be looking at to pay for some of the different things. So like what we pay for LVP, because like right now in my rentals, I do LVP everywhere. Like I don't even consider doing carpet. We don't have like some tile, some this, some carpet. We just put LVP everywhere, kind of figuring out what we charge per, uh, what we pay for that and how much we pay to install it. It's kind of a cool um, thing for you to be able to see, you know, what you can pay for expenses. You can email us and we're happy to give you that. But talk about some of the nightmares. Like you're like, okay, if you're going to do these rentals, here's three things you've got to make sure that you do. All right, so so there are no nightmares unless let's put them in three categories, okay? Category one, poor tenant selection, okay? So if you uh, just don't do a good job making sure the tenant um, has a track record of keeping properties in good shape and has a track record of paying on time, okay, you are exposing yourself to 
you know, having payment problems, which can be a nightmare, especially depending how your mortgages and what you have to pay and all that. A lot of people got crushed in COVID because tenants are just like, you can't evict me and I'm not paying you. And they, they were right. You couldn't evict them. And people had mortgages they had to pay on those rental properties and not getting the rent. So anyhow, number one tenant selection outside of COVID, you're in complete control with that. Okay. Number two, along nightmare processes is going to be your enforcement of the payment policies. You don't deviate. So it's due on the first, you have to the fifth. On the sixth, it's late, 10%. And you have to realize if you don't charge them that 10%, human nature is to just push the edge, push the edge. Like on a 55 mile an hour road, you're going 65, right? You're never going to go 55. So, so until you get a ticket for going 63 and now you're like, damn, I got to go just five over, not 10 over. Well, same thing with late payments. You have to charge them. Otherwise, paying on the 6th becomes a new date than paying on the 10th. So anyhow, you charge a late fee on the 12th, at least in Virginia, you send it to the attorney for eviction. Once they file that, the tenant notes and other whatever the attorney costs, I don't know, file it, whatever my people do that. Um, and you just follow that process, okay? And you don't have to worry about payment problems. So tenant selection, you got to search a little bit of legalities there on what you can and can't ask. But at the end of the day, you're only concerned about two things. Do they have the income? Do they have the track record paying on time? And do they have a track record of leaving the properties in decent shape? If they've got all three of those, that's a great tenant. Um, payments we just discussed. A third area that's going to make your life really easy is you put your rental property in an LLC that's named something like real estate partners. Just have partners in the name. I don't care what. Because you have like a 1% share in those rental properties because they you don't have any money. You were picked because they were your friends. They really own it all. And for my 1% share, I'm the property manager. And you don't even have to say 1%. Just you can say, I don't own anything. Now my friend paying me to manage it. Point is, you want to be the good cop and the partnership be the bad cop. Because like if you're... People will, if they know you own it, they're just going to try to suck up to you and play on your sympathies, whether that's approving them or whether that's working with them because they're not paying on time. And that will make your life miserable. Okay. You will be our future customer. Mm -hmm. We buy money from motivated sellers. And if you're miserable, you're a motivated seller. You just want out. So, so, that distinction of, hey, I'm good cop. Yeah, I agree. You shouldn't have to pay rent, but the partnership is going to fire me as the property manager. So I have to file on the sixth. It's not up to me to not charge the late fee. I will lose my job. Okay. I can submit that to the partnership for an answer and get back to you in a day or two. In a day or two, you answer, <laughs> you know, but you want to be the good cop. Okay. And it makes it. And that's if you're managing, that's if you're managing the property yourself. And my opinion is don't manage the property yourself. Hire a property manager. I'm a hundred percent capable of managing all my own rentals, which I don't do because <laughs> I want to buy back my own time. 
Well, in, in really, truly, that is a choice for each person. Because right. um, so if you have a, an occupation where you're making a lot of money, um, buying back your own time is a good call. But if your occupation is such that, you know, you're, you, you know, paying, when you have a property management company, two things occurs. Number one, you're going to pay them a monthly fee. Number two, they're going to charge for repairs a lot more than you can get done on your own. Okay. Um, wait for the helicopter. Sorry. It's loud. Well, well, let me, let me go ahead. But, but, but lastly is temperament. So at the time when I started doing rental properties, I had a good temperament for dealing with the tenants until I got like eight or nine of them. And then I structured that, gave it to my assistant. And yeah. So, I mean, it just depends your temperament, your capacity to do with, deal with it. And I remember at one time I was trying to talk my dad and his wife into getting rental property because I was worried about them financially. And, and they had money in the market. They could move it and buy them. And they're just like, oh my God, I can't imagine. And now I get it because I'm older. I'm like, okay, I can see where people can get to the point that they just can't handle the aspects of decisions and tenants and repairs. So there's a place for a property manager, is my point. And there's a place for self-manage based on your, you know, money. Yeah. All right. We've got two quick questions. We're way over on time, but I want you to answer these really quickly. First one is someone asked, what is your opinion on single door versus multi-door properties? Which do you prefer and why? Okay. Um, all right. That's not going to be a quick answer, but I'm going to just be as quick as I can. How about that? Okay. Um, all right. What I like about single family property because we have our house flipping company and, and we spend $15,000 a month making a phone ring with motivated sellers. You don't have to do that. We're just structured in a certain way. We have an acquisition agent who makes a lot of money on deals. So it, we, we, when I buy a single family house, it's at 50 to 60% of its as is value at that moment. Okay. I can't buy, it's just not that easy to buy multifamily at 50 to 60% less than its value at that second in time. Okay. So that's why I'm in single family. Um, the other thing is, depending on the rent price point, we, we have, uh, I don't know, we have one fourplex and three or four duplexes. And in and they're all in Norfolk. Um, they're tougher renters when it's like seven hundred and eight hundred dollars a month. I mean, I, I always look at these things and I'm like, why are we generating seventy five percent revenue in the big picture annually on these? And it's because they're tough renters. There's like always someone we're evicting per four units, you know. Um, but but multifamily in general, the benefit is um, you have a lot. Like, let's say you go for a minimum of 100 units, okay? You've got a 100-unit property there, and let's say it's a $1,000 rent. It's $100,000 a month you have to work with. You get some economies of scale because everything's on property. You know, you can have a full-time property manager. Lots of economies of scale. The tough thing is making it pencil nowadays because everybody and their brother seems to be in that business. 
but it also could be that the market has gotten so big for it, like the millennials a decade ago. Like if I could do it all over again, I would have gotten multifamily a decade ago because millennials, you know, were like not wanting to buy. And now they're beginning to realize that was kind of stupid. I'm just going to be paying rent the rest of my life. But it is what it is. Um, yes. Okay. Did I answer that or did I go yeah. No, I think that's great. Okay. Okay. Next question is cap rate versus cash on cash return. What's more important? And for those of you who don't understand that question, I'm going to just expand on it. So cap rate measures the potential profit from an investment without factoring in like financing and so forth. And cash on cash return tells you how much profit you receive for every single dollar that you invested, right? So uh, how would you answer that, Matt? I would I would say, and you're going to love this, uh, it depends, okay? So here's, here's the answer to that. So cap rate basically says, if you have a million-dollar property, forget financing, pretend you just paid a million bucks, what's it cost to run that property? So what's left at the end of the day? That's basically a cap rate. So it's your, your actual profit without financing considered. Um, cash on cash return is, hey, I just bought a million dollar property or 10 million, let's have our hundred million dollar property. And I only had to put a thousand dollars down and I make a hundred thousand dollars a year on this, you know, hundred million dollar property. So your your cash on cash return is like a thousand dollars, a hundred thousand. So whatever the percentage would be, I don't know, a million percent return, something crazy. Um, that would look that's that's great, right? But the reality on that is the very second anything ticks, like there's three percent vacancy instead of zero vacancy, you're now losing money because um, cash on cash is 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 a great measure but it's not an absolute measure. It depends the amount of leverage you have. It depends, you know, what happens. When you have leverage, it works in both directions. And that's what's really important to understand. When everything's going great, leverage performs super well. When the market changes due to economic terms, whatever happens, okay, it crushes you. You know, it, it if you had a property that, generated a million dollars a year and you made a hundred thousand dollars on it and it was fully leveraged everything's great but then you have 10 percent vacancy and repairs and now you're losing money so you either have to start working money back in it or let it go back to the bank so so it's not absolute there's not a it, it's an individual risk it's an individual decision um, but at the end of the day, um, what you make on your actual money is is really the deal. So I suppose cash on cash is is key. Yeah, mm -hmm. that was a really long answer. But I didn't <laughs> want to make it just like absolute because it really isn't. It has to do with the risk tolerance. Has to do is it recourse financing or non recourse financing? You know. Yeah, I How love much it. Cash are you putting in it? You know, 10%, 1%. You know, I'd love to do 1% cash on cash with no recourse financing, but people doing no recourse financing aren't so stupid as you new, no, do new, no recourse with 1% down. They want 30% down. 
And when you got 30% down, you're going to make sure the game works. Love it. Well, this has been amazing. I'm so grateful for your friendship. I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you. Let's show Matt some love in the chat. Like we said, he doesn't have anything to sell. He just came here um, just because he loves to share his knowledge. And I just am grateful for you and your friendship. They say iron sharpens iron. And every time I'm with you, I'm always sharpened. And I really appreciate you. So thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a rating and a review so we can get this out to more agents. And tune in next week for another power-packed episode. This is the Millionaire Real Estate Podcast.